And that's what climate change is about. It is literally, not figuratively, a clear and present danger. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. The ability of CO2 to do the heavy work of creating a climate catastrophe is almost nil at this point. The price of oil has been artificially elevated to the point of insanity. That's not how you power a modern industrial system. The ultimate goal of this renewable energy you know, plan is to reach the exact same point that we're at now. You know who's trying that? Germany. Seven straight days of no wind for Germany. Uh, their factories are shutting down. They really do act like weather didn't happen prior to like 1910. Today is Friday. That's right, Greta. It is Friday. And this is our own personal Friday protest. Climate Change Roundtable, episode 96. Climate Trial of the Century, Man versus Stein, round three. I'm Jim Lakely, Vice President of the Heartland Institute, and our usual host, Anthony Watts, is under the weather today instead of uh, forecasting it. So feel better soon, Anthony, and we'll see you next week. With us, as always, are Dr. H. Sterling Burnett. He is the director of the Arthur B. Robinson Center at the Heartland Institute, and also Linnea Lucan, a research fellow with the Robinson Center. Well, you know, and we also have a special guest. I'll get to her in just a moment. Uh, but we've just ended week three of the defamation trial where serial litigator and all-around nasty piece of business, a climate hockey stick inventor named Michael E. Mann, he's suing Mark Stein and Rand Simberg for a couple of blog posts that supposedly so greatly injured his reputation that it damaged his ability to get government grants to fund more climate alarmism and made him a pariah in public and professional circles. Well, anyone uh, following this trial that has operating ears and an open mind uh, would find that that claim is utterly ridiculous. And that surely includes our special guest this week. That is one Anne McElhenney. She and her husband, fellow McAleer, who we had on the show last week, run the Unreported Story Society and have been in the courtroom every day. And they provide comprehensive coverage on this important trial via their podcast, Climate Change on Trial. Welcome, everybody. This is going to be a fantastic show, and special welcome to you, Anne. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. You are quite <clears> welcome. <throat> it's our honor to have you here, and I know we only have you for a limited time, so we're going to try to get to some of these, uh, some of the, the new developments in the trial this week. Um, Michael Mann rested his case, um, and I think, you know, anybody listening to trial, as I alluded to in the introduction, um, would find actually that Mann's witnesses were not really all that impressive. In fact, the defense, uh, and again, you get a lot of this from listening to the Climate Change on Trial podcast, a lot of the witnesses for the plaintiffs, the defense questioning of those witnesses seem to do a lot more good for the defense than they ever did for the, for the prosecution, uh, or I should say for the plaintiffs. Um, but and one of my favorite things about the trial, and uh, my favorite maybe isn't the right word, but I think it's actually something, it is my favorite then, because it actually is exposing what kind of a person Michael Mann really is. Um, those of us in the climate skeptic, climate realist community, whom he calls climate deniers, which is, of course, to uh, and that, and that, uh, make an analogy to Holocaust denial, which is evil and filthy thing to do. But over and over, he has to keep written, uh, read into the public record are emails that he had written to colleagues. Now, mind you, this is a professional. This is a, this is a PhD. This is a professor at Penn State University. And now he's in the Ivy League at the University of Pennsylvania. And the language that he uses, the insults that he so freely and so frequently throws out there 
among his colleagues, among people that just happen to disagree with him and think maybe he might, may have made a few mistakes in his hockey stick is really shocking. And I think it's awesome, actually, that this is on the permanent public record about, as I said, what a nasty piece of business Michael Mann is. Yeah, I mean, it's, <clears throat> I was very, very shocked by that. Um, you know, he calls people human filth. Uh, he called uh, McIntyre human filth, a guy who, you know, had, had published, by the way, McIntyre and McKittrick had published their uh, criticism of the hockey stick in the same peer-reviewed journal where Michael Mann's uh, hockey stick had appeared first. And those guys, you know, got the ire of Michael Mann and he called, you know, human filth, by the way, to call somebody that. He also called him an a-hole and I'm abbreviating that. But I think even almost worse was Judith Curry. Judith Curry, as I think you guys would probably know her very well, world-renowned climate scientist, uh, you know, very pure, you know, science person. By the way, big-time environmentalist, she explained when she was in court yesterday. I think she has 26 solar panels at her house and all of that. But he insinuated in emails to other academics, including people at NASA, that she had slept her way to the top, which is the oldest slur against a woman uh, being successful in the world that, that, that is known to man, basically. And this is what he did. And when he had an opportunity in the court under pain of perjury, I mean, he admitted, and it's on the testimony, that every part of the email where he insinuated that she was a student when she went to Penn State, that she had an affair with uh, a married man, that every, every part of that was untrue. And when he had an opportunity, when Judith Curry was in the courtroom, when uh, Dr. Webster was also in the courtroom, her husband, he didn't apologize um, and hasn't done anything to apologize since. I mean, this, for me, I found it really shocking. I mean, we've, we've all been to university, I presume. And my memory of, of third level education was that I was taught by people who were you know, crusty academics, a little eccentric, but awfully correct, very, you know, very impressive. And this, if this is the caliber of person who's teaching at Penn State, it's kind of an interesting insight that you speak like that about people who disagree with you. You know, these people didn't kill your dog, you know, this, these people didn't, you know, shoot your wife, you know, and yet he uses language, incredibly intemperate language to describe these people. And as you know, and I think you've talked about it before, Tim Ball, you know, in Canada, he basically litigated him to death. Um, extraordinary. And when the case went against Michael Mann, he never paid. Um, and Tim Ball died in penury. So he's an, I, I, I don't, he's an extraordinary man, obviously incredibly insecure because mm. he needs to do this kind of, the way he speaks about people. I'm, I'm shocked by it, by the way. I just get, every day I'm completely blown over by it. It's insecure. <clears throat> His insecurity was was on full display when he talked about someone glaring. He, he was convinced someone glared at him in a grocery store. And oh, can I? Oh, just that, oh, I can, oh, my whole life. Well, yeah, well, I can't shop there anymore. Sterling, you are so right. I mean, I, 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 we made the joke, by the way. He should have a look at our my inbox sometime and the things that have been written to me. I hope you die. I hope you're. I've gotten a couple of my choice ones. Was I hope your children are disabled. I hope you are hung from a short rope, like 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 the Nazis like I got all of that just in mm -hmm. a day's work by the way he said and this is by way of him as the plaintiff proving damages said that in a Wegmans by the way let's be specific in a Wegmans in State College someone looked at him the meanest look he'd ever seen Woo! and by the way my question to that is how do you know Michael Mann 
that that man didn't just find his wife in bed with someone else? How do you know that that man didn't just stand in a piece of poo? How do you know that that man didn't just realize that the winning lottery ticket for that week was his numbers and his wife had washed down the sink? How do you know whatever, right? How do you know he didn't look at man? He never said his name. He never said anything. Well, yeah, I mean, and the irony with all of this and, and Michael Mann being a nasty piece of business is that if there's anybody who's a serial defamer of others in this community, it is Michael Mann. And it is not Rand Simberg and it is not Mark Stein. Correct. So uh, as, as I mentioned, uh, Mann did rest his case this week, and uh, we're going to get to something um, that many thought might happen after he rested his case, but apparently did not happen. And uh, you were in the courtroom to see it and people listening and watching online were not able to see it. So it's very important that we get to that. But Anne, first, I wanted to get to two clips um, from near the end of Mann's case um, uh, from uh, your excellent Climate Change on Trial podcast and play them for, for our audience. Uh, the first is a clip from your self-admitted girl crush, uh, Victoria Weatherford, who is the uh, attorney, one of the attorneys for Rand Simberg. Um, she was going hard after Michael Mann's claim of damages, which is his burden to prove, by the way. He has to prove that he has suffered damages. Mm -hmm. And specifically, she was going after the idea that he had lost out on uh, millions of dollars of government grants that he normally applies for and normally receives. Now, when he first submitted a sworn document about those losses in 2020, uh, the amount was in the many, many millions of dollars that he claimed mm -hmm. to have lost. And then when he had to submit them again under pain of perjury in 2023, those numbers dropped dramatically. And in, and in fact, in one case, he swore in 2020 that he lost a $9 million grant, I believe. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, and then he later amended that in 2023, did Michael Mann, to say, oh, that grant was actually only $112,000. Now, um, we're not playing that clip where <laughs> you could hear Victoria Weatherford's eyes roll when she mentioned that there's quite a difference there, isn't there, Dr. Mann, between $9 million and $112,000. Uh, but Andy, let's go ahead and play this other clip, uh, which you and Phelim uh, had identified as one of your favorite bits as she was wrapping up this point she was making in going after Michael Mann. For now, her conclusion to this long and very effective line of questioning is a total delight. Just again to remember, we obviously, you know, I mean, the show could be, you know, 12 hours long or whatever. It could, yes. it could go on forever. So we have had to cut this down a little bit. But I honestly think Weatherford's conclusion, so she went back and forth and back and forth through all of these different errors and we're going to hear kind of a summing up of that now and i do think that this is extremely delightful so let me get this straight for your funded grants between june 2020 march 2023 you have to make corrections to seven by my calculation out of the 13 grants on here isn't that right yes less than 50 percent score dr man are you saying that it's okay to give us a failing grade in your sworn responses under penalty of perjury about your grants? That prompted man to go into one of his rather lengthy responses and, and he talked about how his grants could be funded at different levels and what he applied for, etc., etc. But Weatherford then came in and responded to his flailing uh, effort at explaining himself. And this is just delightful. Let's listen to this. And let me get this straight. You are asking the jury to believe that your complicated statistics in this case are unimpeachable and they should trust you on the data for your graph when you can't get a dozen grant amounts right. Is that what I'm supposed to believe and what the jury is supposed to believe? Yeah. So that was that was her wrapping up uh, going after uh, man's uh, claims of damages in a pretty devastating way. And, you know, using the failing grade for a professor is a pretty good dig. 
Yeah, and this is 12 years, you know, this is 12 years of litigation. Um, and when you were asked these interrogatories, as they call them, under pain of perjury, as you picked, as you were pointing out there, Jim, I mean, this is very, very serious stuff. And this error is ridiculous. I mean, you know, as Phelan was joking, like, who among us haven't mistaken 9 million for 112,000? You know, and it... it it just—I don't know what it shows, but it—but it definitely shows a sloppiness at the very best. At the very least, it shows sloppiness. At the worst, it shows something much, much, much worse. Um, he is not, and that's—and you're, you're kind of alluding to the fact that they're trying to get a summary judgment at this point and getting this get this whole case thrown out. And I think on the basis of he—he he has been unable to show that he was damaged, and particularly with this grant making thing. And I thought it would, they made a lot of very good points. The grant making, and it's just important maybe for everyone to understand that, the grant making that he lost out on, let's say, and you know, the big number in the end was like, it went from four, four years prior was 3.3, four years after these alleged defamatory articles, it was 500,000. But what really is important is that these grants did not go to Michael Mann. They went to Penn State. And Penn State, we all remember, was having a little bit of a reputational issue at the time. Their president went, ended up in prison. So the idea that somehow these grants re were reduced, there's some other reasons why the grants might have been reduced. The, and the, the effort to try to connect the grant loss with these articles was not made. That argument was not made. And... While that's not made, that's literally the only thing they've got, and they didn't make it. I mean, who is to know that it wasn't the fact that the president of the college was under investigation for one of the worst things you could possibly do, which is to hide the rape of children. Um, so, you know, if you're somebody from one of these, you know, large, maybe prestigious grant-making organizations, and, you know, you've got, you've got, you've got 100 people who've applied for grants, guys in Oxford, in Cambridge, you know, whatever, in Australia, people all over the world, you know, you might say to yourself, you know, I think we're going to wait a wee bit with this Penn State and see how things, um, you know, shake out, because I'm not comfortable with us using this grant money to, to support these guys, because this college is rotten. And, you know, we know that the college is rotten. I mean, when the president went to prison, um, and another one of the executives went to prison, I mean, this is, it's the first time in history, by the way, that a college president went to went to prison, so this is not a small thing. Yeah, you got a man. In my experience, I've actually met him, been on the same conference as him, uh, published in the same journal. Uh, he has no small amount of hubris, and um, you got to think another factor in him not getting his grants. I mean, he's he's assuming that they just come to him every year. They're going to just come to him and his group, whoever he's applying with. But the truth is, just like there are lots of people you said from Oxford and wherever, uh, you know, pushing for grants, they all have good, interesting research. And he doesn't have a right to a set amount of that pool money. Others mm -hmm. may need more deserving that year and, the, and in the following years. Um, and, you know, I think the grant thing, I, I'd be interested to see how the judge responded to the fact that, you know, what 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 your impression of was the judge responding to the fact that they had filed these uh, false or misleading statements about the money. Um, I, I think they all should, should call him out on the fact that he claims he claimed early that he doesn't he doesn't uh, tweet much. 
something like something like one of the attorneys said, look, you know, aren't you constantly? No, I don't tweet much. Well, he'd, he'd done over 100,000 tweets. It turned out to be something like, you know, X dozens per day, every day. Um, look, I don't tweet much. Zero. Um, there's a lot of people that don't tweet much. Man tweets. I mean, he rivals, you know, Donald Trump during his peak. <laughs> yeah, well, no, he, yeah. <clears throat> he really loves he really loves to loves to tweet and in fact actually he of course the first i mean i think the first day of the trial he blocked me on twitter um and he's blocked an awful lot of people but obviously we have ways around that and we've got other people who he hasn't he's not aware of so we're able to see his tweets and actually he's been going nuts on twitter over the last few days because he doesn't like what's going on in the court and what's coming to light one of the things that kind of i think we you just kind of alluded to there um when you were talking was the fact that he actually, you know, misrepresented to the to the jury visually with a demonstrative, he showed a spreadsheet of of grants that he had missed out on, and the nine million that error, which had been pointed out prior, he showed that to the jury. They showed that the plaintiffs showed that to the jury in, you know, and the judge went fairly nuts over that. To be honest with you, was very 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 angry about that, uh, to knowingly show something to the jury that is completely an error. But as you have mentioned earlier, Jim, you know, so the, the plaintiff's case has rested and then we get to hear the defense. And, the, and and we're running out of time, by the way, here. It's unbelievable. The judge said yesterday, no matter what happens, we're finishing on Wednesday. So that's, right. that leaves us now with three more days, right? Because we don't have court on Friday. So we've got three more days. We've got a jury that are always, always late. So we never ever start on time. Okay, it's a little bugbear of mine. I'm uh, terminally punctual. It's just a thing with me. I think it's very disrespectful. Uh, I just think it's incredibly disrespectful to have somebody waiting on you. Um, it doesn't matter who it is. And I'm not saying everyone in the jury, but I'm saying that there is a co there is a court in that jury who are late every day. And I'm not talking about five minutes. I am not talking about five minutes. We start at least a half an hour late, basically every day, every day. So this is cutting into the time that mm -hmm. uh, you know that the that the defense have to 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 put their case out. So we've only heard really from Judith Curry, but we did get to hear from Professor Weiner, who you mentioned that I had a girl crush on Miss um, Weatherford. Well, she's been slightly replaced by <laughs> Professor Professor um, Dr. Weiner. My God, what a delight! And really, he has restored my faith in academia. He's from the Wharton School of Business. He's a statistician. And he's uh, he's what every young person deserves when they go into third level education. He's a he's very pure. He's incredibly excited by what he does. And he's somebody who analyzed um, Michael Mann's methods for creating the hockey stick. And I thought was devastating yeah. uh, in the demonstratives that he presented. I thought he was devastating to the case because he showed, and it was, it's, and I think maybe Jim, I mean, maybe you have those visuals, but he was devastating. And I think, you know, a lot of this case is very technical. It's quite tough for people. Um, I'm not a scientist. I find it very tough at times to keep up with some of the language. And yet, uh, there we are, there we are. We're gonna start seeing some of Dr. Weiner's, but as I said, I've, repla I've replaced it away. I still really do have a crush on Ms. Weatherford, but I do think Dr. Weiner became my new favorite. And he's like my poster boy for just, Real, intelligent, sober, serious, 
delightful and charming way he presented. And I noticed that the jury were very impressed with him. They they really leaned into him. They were all taking notes. And he really did a lecture. It was like, you know, they got the opportunity to have a statistics class that they hadn't asked for. Um, and he gave these great visuals. If you want to maybe talk us, you know, this, at the moment on the screen for people who are watching, there's a, there's a, there's a visual there of Dr. Weiner's reconstruction. Now, he had a number of these. He has a number of these. But as you can see, I think what's important there is if you see the top, the very top to the very bottom is the mapping of uncertainty. And this is really the mm -hmm. center of what Dr. Weiner was saying, that in this whole climate, con con this climate conversation and in the conversation, particularly about the hockey stick, the last period, which, of course, Dr. Weiner very honestly has done, created a line. So if you see that the long line near the end there, which is coming into where we have the actual temperature record. He created a line to say, now we're using thermometers. But prior to that, they're using proxies. They're using these kind of ice cores. They're using tree ring data. They're using all these things from all over the world or whatever. And there's an incredible amount of uncertainty. There's probably fair to say there's a much less uncertainty after uh, that line. But <clears throat> what he's basically saying is that with the data available with the proxies, there's any number of potential graphs that you could create. And I don't know if you've got the slide there that shows the three different possibilities that have equal validity. Um, keep going. There's another one. Or maybe, oh, no, maybe you don't have it. But there's another one that's really fabulous. And it's green, red, and blue, I think. It's green, oh, yeah. blue. Not this one. This one's interesting, though. I can talk to this one. Um, so this one's very interesting. It, Dr. Weiner made the point that in statistics, you're constantly making choices. And you need to be very transparent about how you made those choices. So he said, you're constantly coming to a fork in the road. Do I go right? Do I go left? There's nothing wrong with either direction. But you make choices. And the choices will affect an outcome. And here's one of the choices. And it's very interesting for your um, viewers to, go, to look at this. Here's a number of choices available. There's 22 different data points here. Um, and you see the graphs there. So 22 different lines there. And if you look at them, an awful lot of them are fairly flat. Enormous number of them are very flat. There are two of them that have an a, that have a blade. So two of them kind of have a little bit of a, a um, they go up at the end, two of them. So they're the two that Michael Mann chose from 22. He chose those two. He made a choice because he, because he had a bias, because he wanted things to go a particular way. And I suppose what Dr. Weiner is saying is that you should be a lot more disinterested as a statistician. You shouldn't be looking for a result. You should be, and you should certainly be giving the people who are your audience the knowledge that this is all very, very uncertain. But I think that that slide's very instructive because it shows you that he chose, he, and they call it, I think they call it p-hacking. And some of your very intelligent um, listeners and viewers may pick me up on that, but I think that's what's called p-hacking. So what you're doing is out of a number of opportunities and possibilities, all of them equally valid, you choose the one that you that goes along with your um, bias, if you like. And his yeah. bias is, there we are, this is the one I love. Okay, this is the one I love. This is one of his, and I just love this. I think everyone should focus on this if you can. He said, here's different reconstructions that he made based on the data. Each of these is equally valid. That's the really important thing. Now look at the green one. 
So the green one, if you look at it, right, it's equally valid to the red one. Now, the red one is very close. It's not Michael Mann's hockey stick, but it's, it, it's quite, it looks like it, right? But that red one is as valid as the blue one, is as valid as the green one. But look I, at the green one. The green one, it was warmer. Like, according to that green one, really nothing to see here in a way, right? It totally blows out of the water the Michael Mann hockey stick, which has the idea that the world was just doing honky-dory for a thousand years until we invented the combustion engine and introduced fossil fuels. And now we're all going to hell in a hike, in a, <laughs> in, a hike, in, a, in a cart, right? But if you look at that, he's saying from a statistical point of view, each of these are equally valid. Now, the jury got to look at this. They got to look at this from a guy who's Yale, I'm going to run you know, Stanford, now at the Wharton School, at the Wharton School, by the way, who, in the University of Pennsylvania, in the very same institution where Michael Mann is teaching right now. This is not a, this isn't, this isn't a charlatan. This isn't some tinfoil, tinfoil hat wearing guy. This is a guy who knows his stuff. And he's saying these three are equally valid. And, oh, you know, please. Just real quick, Sterling, I know we only got a few minutes. Andy, can you put that first chart that you had up there before um, that was shown to the jury? Um, that Nope, keep going. You'll find it there. That that one right there. So uh, so Anne, in the time we have you, my recollection in watching this uh, on on the stream was that the attorneys for Michael Mann were trying to say like that doesn't look like a hockey stick to you. Doesn't that look like a hockey stick to you? It's like no, that doesn't look like a hockey stick at all. <laughs> it looks like actually a a very it looks like a U um, uh, trend with the bottom of the U. Um, quite far to the right. But yeah, th so I, I guess his attorneys were trying to, because it's important, I think, the case that were, what Mark Stein and Ransenberg had written was that the hockey stick graph is a fraud. In other words, it's fake. It's not real. It's not a hockey stick. And so when you can put this evidence up there from the statistician who knows how to, you know, and one of the things that uh, Anthony Weiner, or, uh, Abraham Weiner, I should say, said during the trial is that he is probably one of the most certainly this country's most renowned statisticians. He has a radio show on Sirius XM radio as a statistician. That's, you know, how many statisticians have their own national radio shows? Yeah, but, we should really um, give a shout out. We should give a shout out because some of your listeners would probably really like this guy so much. And I haven't listened to the show, but it's called the Wharton Powerball, I think. So people yes. can check it out. The Wharton Powerball and Powerball. And it's basically a lot of it is about sports statistics but right. i just he's a delight he's a complete delight actually if you go back to the chart there with the three different colors um what you're saying jim actually this is the chart that they were talking about and they were saying oh should that green that green line is a hockey stick and i'm not even going to begin to argue with that the hockey stick that's in question is the hockey stick, hockey stick which the is where which is basically where it's a hockey stick lying down lying horizontal where the blade sticks up and this idea that you're trying to confuse everything by saying everything looks like a hockey stick. No, this actually looks, as you say, it comes comes down and goes goes up. But he was, you know, they were they were flailing. I felt they were flailing with this hockey stick back and forth. It's the hockey stick that has been criticized, which is right. Michael Mann's hockey stick, which has the 1,000 years flatline interrupted then by this catastrophic warming where we're all going to die. And something else I want to say that I really would love, and I maybe Phelan mentioned it last week, was Rand Simberg made a speech, uh, or not made a speech, but it was, was being questioned. And uh, I really like Rand Simberg. He's very, um, a very serious um, man. He's actually, um, you know, what would be called uh, colloquially a rocket scientist. 
you know, actually genuinely he's one of them. He's that kind of guy, right? But he said, you know, why is this important? Why is all of this important? And it came up in the context of his criticism of Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth. And this, and I, this really meant a lot to me as well. And he, he, he said, you know, he was criticizing that Al Gore's movie is being shown to kids in schools. <clears throat> and he made the point that for the first time in history, the first time in history, young people are deciding not to have children. Right. Because they're so terrorized and depressed by the teacher who they love and respect and believe in telling them we're all going to die. We're going to fry. So if you were to have a child, I mean, who in their right mind would do that, by the way, have a child and bring them into some kind of apocalyptic nightmare. Nobody would do that. So the teachers that they are, so children, and I've noticed this when I've spoken on campuses and it's something that matters a great deal to me is I go to these campuses and I meet these depressed young people and I'm thinking, you know, and I know you guys and I know it, you, you, we're all on the same team here, whatever, but I, you know, it's never, it's never been better. We're so lucky. We can't even, we don't even know how lucky we are. People are walking around and they're, you know, Richard Lindzen the other day, and I could talk a little bit about him. I can stay on a bit longer. Richard Lindzen is, you know, an advanced age. And there he was, you know, coming in to give evidence from Paris through, through Zoom. It didn't work, but of the technology. But we're living at the best time in history and young people should be told that and told to be enthusiastic and told to get excited and have loads of children because one of their children will cure cancer, you know, uh, and make them joyful and be Beethoven or not even be Beethoven and annoy them, but be magnificent and a joy to them. But instead of that, they're being brought up in this horribly doomsayery environment. And Rand said that on the stand. And I just really, I really loved that. And I think um, this is what this case is about. And this is why they need to win. Before we get to the rest of this podcast, I wanted to let you know about two fantastic live podcasts Heartland produces every week. We'd love for you to join us every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central, live for our flagship In the Tank podcast. You can watch on the Stopping Socialism TV channel on YouTube, where you can participate in the show in the chat with other fans and also ask questions that we'll address on the air and put up on the screen. And every Friday, also at 1 p.m. Eastern and noon Central time, you can go to Heartland's main YouTube channel. Just search for the Heartland Institute on YouTube for Climate Change Roundtable. Heartland's climate team of Anthony Watts, Sterling Burnett, and Linnea Lucan cover the crazy climate news of the week, debunk mainstream media myths about the so-called climate crisis, dig into energy policy, and much more. The show also often features guests that include some of the leading climate scientists and energy policy experts anywhere in the world. There is no show like it anywhere. So become regular live viewers of both of these programs if you are interested in smart, lively, fun, and interactive conversations. We hope to see you there every Thursday and Friday afternoons at 1 p.m. Eastern and noon Central at the Stopping Socialism TV channel and the Heartland Institute channel on YouTube. Oh, yeah, we're also on Rumble. See you there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the, just one last thing I wanted to ma- mention about Abraham Weiner. He said he testified that the reason because actually the the, the uh, man's attorneys were like, this is the first time you've ever gone into climate science and, st- and statistics. Right. And you haven't really done a lot of other work when it comes to climate science and, t- and statistics, have you? And he says no. But he said, you know, that wasn't really his thing. His Correct. thing is statistics. And he said he looked at the hockey stick and he looked he says, you know, what Michael Mann was trying to do with statistics, and he is not a statistician. He said, that was the hardest problem I could even imagine 
having to deal with uh, yes. with statistical algorithms. And so one of the country's most renowned statisticians actually takes a look at the data and comes to a, a very different conclusion. And actually what he did is he exposed that uh, what Michael Mann did, and which is what he's being criticized for, and what he's suing over is that he was cherry picking data and that frankly, he doesn't know what he's doing yeah. when it comes to uh, statistical analysis of both um, temperature records and uh, uh, proxy data. On that yeah. point, you yeah. know, on that point, um, you know, man, when he, when he was testifying, he specifically said, no, I'm not a statistician. And they said, well, you had statistics. No, I didn't work with statisticians. We, we talked to a few, we consulted, but they weren't part of the, they, they weren't part of the research team. So a non-statistician produces a statistical analysis. And then they criticize the statistician who analyzes their analysis because he's not a climate scientist. Right. Yeah, I knew that climate scientist. It was about the results of their statistical analysis. Correct. Correct. That, looks, that, on, that, that graphic to me, uh, I know hockey sticks. They are flat, and then they have a blade at the end, and that's what man's look like: flat with blade. That looks like a bucket scoop on the front of a a, a, a tractor. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. and it, it does show very clearly that there was no flat before. What's, you know, what's also great about Dr. Weiner um, is, and, and it's such an interesting thing about statistics. I literally can imagine some of the jury, by the way, deciding that they're going to study st statistics after this, because it's really fascinating, because it doesn't matter that he doesn't know anything about climate. In fact, it's almost a, an advantage that he doesn't know anything about climate. He knows about data. And what we're looking at when we look at these graphs is data and how data has been manipulated or dealt with in order to create a result. And it's very legitimate for a statistician to come along and say, let's have a look at this and how this was created and if this is accurate. Because the, the stakes are very high here. This is trillions of dollars. This mm -hmm. is people who froze to death in Texas, by the way. This is about people who froze to death in Texas, including a child. Yeah. This is what this is about. This is about the lights going off in Germany. This is this is what this is about. This it could the stakes could not possibly be higher. So yes, you should invite if you care. You should be inviting everyone in to criticize your results because we're all in this together. This really really matters. But I loved what Dr. Weiner said. You know, he talked about how con, you know confirmation bias and and p hacking etc. These inappropriate ways of dealing with data create results that are incorrect. And he gave fabulous examples and, you know, not as serious, but he gave a, a wonderful example about, I think it was, and he, you know, he mentioned it without getting into too many details, about a cough, a cough medicine, which then had been scrutinized by statisticians who came back and basically said, hmm, okay, that cough medicine that we've all been taking all around the world forever does nothing. You know, and so people like this Dr. Weiner, we just, the world needs more of him. And I'll tell you one other thing that I really think is important. One thing that has really struck me in, the, in this case and sitting in that court case is what has been going on in that courtroom is what is, should be going on in the town square of every town in the world. And it's what's not happening because the climate change alarmists will not debate. They will not debate. And so there's something very powerful happening in this courtroom where they are having to answer questions. And my God, they hate it. That's what Michael Mann does not want to talk to anyone who won't, you know, toot the, you know, celebrate him without question. You know, he wants to pal around, as he said, he has a bromance with Leonardo DiCaprio. You know, and we didn't mention, I presume Phelan mentioned it last week, the, the idea that 12 years of litigation 
He has never spent a penny. He is in right. lawfare, trying to destroy people. Michael, Mark Stein is there in the courtroom in a wheelchair. I mean, it's horrible. And it's no small measure that he is in that wheelchair because of this litigation. Who would be fit for it? The bills are astronomical. They're yeah. frightening. Um, I mean, I, I have a very good friend who's a lawyer in town here. He explained to me that the average kind of price for these lawyers is $1,500 an hour. But most of them are $2,500 an hour. Most of them. So $1,500 is kind of, you know, the kind of the lower end. Even, try, you know, let's exaggerate downward and say $1,000 an hour. This is hours and hours and hours for 12 years. This yeah. is huge money. So somebody is paying Michael Mann. We don't know who is doing it, but it's a nightmare if you, you know. So basically, the, the word, the, you know, the word that goes out there is, be careful. Oh, God, you, you skeptics, be careful, because I'll come after you, and I will destroy you. I'll take your home. I'll yeah. make sure your children don't go to college. I'll take your house. We will destroy you for having an opinion. Well, the, the irony here, um, Anne, is that um, in testimony, I think, I believe it was John Abraham, was that uh, one of Mar uh, Michael Mann's witnesses? Yes. He's the founder of something called the Climate Science Legal Defense Fund. I mean, we actually oh, yeah, mentioned yes. this on the podcast yes. with Phelan last week. And, you know, it's the Climate Science Legal Defense Fund. And that is why, presumably, Michael Mann has not spent a thin dime of his own money while emptying the bank accounts and, and causing financial ruination and physical ruination yes. of men like Mark Stein and Rand Simberg. Yeah. They should call it the Climate Science Legal Offense Fund, because yeah. apparently its only purpose is for people like Michael Mann, a serial litigator and a nasty piece of business, to have unlimited funds yeah. to sue anybody who criticizes him in a way that he, he finds... Um, distasteful and people that he sees as vulnerable to being ruined. So it's not a defense fund. It's an offense fund. And it's disgusting. Yeah. Jim, this is just taking, I mean, Michael Mann is basically just using the tactics of Greenpeace and them at the individual level, you know, instead of going after, you know, Greenpeace will try to sue like a, a utility company or something to get them, um, you know, trapped in such expensive litigation that they just opt to close down a coal plant anyway. Right. Um, yeah. Yep. And and Michael Mann is doing the same thing. But instead of going after groups, he goes after individuals who call him mean names on it's Twitter or blog posts. It's, it's, it's lawfare. Yeah. And and lawfare. it's lawfare attacking. I, I don't think that the fundamental issue is science. I think the fundamental issue is free speech. We yeah. have a First Amendment in this country. Right. They don't have it in Canada. Yeah. They don't have it in Europe. Yeah. But we have it here. Yes. And supposedly that is supposed to indemnify you unless you are actually committing fraud. And there's no evidence that these people yeah. have committed fraud. They mocked him. Yeah. Mocking public figures is supposed to be okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And should be encouraged. And, and so it's, you know, the result of this is incredibly important. Jim, were you going to play another clip? Because I'd love the listeners to hear the better audio um, just to realize that the, the podcast, I mean, it has very high production values and I'd love them to hear the better audio um, in the second clip. Because what okay. we're doing is, as people probably know that your listeners probably know this quite well, we have actors over in Los Angeles who, you know, the way we're doing this is we go to the court every day, we come out, we work on the transcript, then we send the transcript to Los Angeles, have actors reenact the best parts of the day, the most dramatic parts of the day. Then we go to a studio here, we record the links, 
Then all of that gets sent to an editor in Dublin, Ireland, who works oh. overnight <laughs> and it comes out in the morning. So um, it's quite the production, as you can imagine. And anyone yes. out there, by the way, who wants to help us, we would appreciate it. We're the Unreported Story Society, by the way, and we are a 501c3. Yes. Okay. Andy, you're, uh, yeah, there you go. And so, yeah, we'll play that clip real quick so people can hear the fantastic audio uh, quality of this um, very professional production. So this is Rand Simberg. And then I hope we have time. I hope that your feet doesn't turn into a pumpkin too soon. I have to ask you about the uh, attempt to dismiss the case and what the judge said, because people watching the, the trial had no idea what the judge said, but actually you can get it on episode 10 Yes, of climate can. change on trial. So, but maybe they can give us a preview. Uh, anyway, so so they tried to make a big deal. Uh, Rand Simberg in his brief blog post said, I guess you can call me uh, a denier. And I, I'm not quite sure what point they were trying to make, but um, th that is the plaintiffs. But, you know, we're, we're called deniers, climate deniers. I mean, Michael Mann must have said the word denier in his own testimony about a hundred times. Um, but yeah, let's, let's play this clip from Rand Simberg who um, I imagine, I, I think the actor, I hope he is, um, mirroring the the sense of exasperation uh, the actor has in playing the role of Rand Simberg. So Andy, go ahead and cue that up, please. When you say, now consider me a denier, what do you mean by that? Denier in quotes. I know. It means that I believe what, I was kind of upset when I wrote that. And what it really means is that I'm, I, kind of skeptical about the validity of the climate science up to this point. I'm seeing what I think is actual deception resulting from the climate gate emails. That's really what I am saying. When you say that you have been skeptical of climate science, are you referring to climate change or are you referring to the issues that are in this case, which is the research around the historical temperatures? I was referring to really the hockey stick and all the hype it got in particular at the IPCC. Yeah, you get to hear you get to hear the audio there, um, and uh, you know the production values, which I, I have no I have no hand in, but other great people are involved with. Um, and yeah, I mean, so yeah, so Rand Simberg had referred to himself in inverted commas as a denier. I mean, I'm very sensitive about this denier thing. I've got you know I I'm an Irish Catholic, but I came to live in America, and I ha happen to have ended up in Los Angeles. And basically, everyone I love now in the world is Jewish, so I'm very sensitive about about the word denier because I think it has been always reserved for people who deny that six million people were tortured and executed by the Nazis. And I think any other use of it, I, I almost feel like it's a that it's somehow almost a sacred, sacred, you know, it's a word, it's a very specific word about a very specific thing that we've all known about for years and we have utter disgust for. And to use that word in relation to somebody who's skeptical about the hockey stick, it's disgusting, by the way. And equally, by the way, I have a such clear memory. Some of your listeners will remember we created a documentary a number of years ago called Not Evil, Just Wrong about this whole issue, about this whole global warming madness. And we interviewed the great Dr. Lindzen. Dr. Richard Lindzen, Chair of Atmospheric Sciences at MIT at the time. Uh, I know he's retired now, but a brilliant person. And, and this, is where, this is where my sensitivity started because he said, he had literally just read at that time, this is, I don't know, a decade ago, he had literally read in The Economist himself be described as a denier. And he's, you know, you guys probably know Richard Lindzen quite well, I mean, a very mild mannered, very correct gentleman. And he said, you know that it, he he was quite shook up by it, um, because so many of his own family had perished in the Holocaust, yeah. and for him to be called that and to be, have that word used against him, I mean it's really horrific, you know. And this is this is the tenor, this is the tenor of this conversation, um, 
And there's something really quite disgusting about that. There's something disturbing about that when you can't speak civilly to people about something that has couldn't have more import for the world. As I said, people froze to death in Texas because of that hockey stick. I mean, literally because of that hockey stick, one of them a child. You know, um, this couldn't be more important. So we're allowed to talk about it. We're meant to talk about it. As you said, they are very correctly, Sterling. We have free speech in this country. And this, uh, this idea that, that somebody like Michael Mann can come, al- come along and lawfare us into quiet and lawfare us in, in, into, into, into being quiet and worrying that we're going to lose our house. This is not a good thing. And this case needs to be to end this and yeah. to let these guys know you have to take it. You have to take it when people say, I'm questioning this. In the strongest terms, I'm questioning this. This looks wrong to me. Um, and, you know, the reason, by the way, that Rand Simberg and Mark Stein were so critical was based on their reading of people like uh, Dr. Wyman and others, inc- Nobel Prize winning, actual Nobel Prize winning scientists who <laughs> criticized the hockey stick. And that Nobel Prize, I presume Phelan dealt with that last week. But again, he, the he stolen did. valor involved with that, you know, Marie Curie won the Nobel Prize, Michael Mann. You did not. Yes. And, you know, that, that, and uh, uh, look, look, so, yeah, it's it's uh, 43 minutes since we started. And I think you may have to go soon. So see how quickly you could do this before you have to go. So okay. so uh, so after the plaintiff, Michael Mann, arrested his case, the defense moved to have the case dismissed. They were arguing that Mann had not proved his case that he suffered defamation or damages, injury. And the judge did not rule in favor of the of the defense. Can you walk us through um, those arguments and why the judge declined to just bang the gavel and throw everybody out? Well, it's quite a formal process. So what you have to do is, I mean, they did argue a little bit in court and came up with some of the stuff, which is, you know, and it's very simple in a sense. He, They have not proved their case. They have not proved damages. Um, they haven't. They have been, they literally have been unable to do that. You know, somebody looked strangely at me in a Wegmans. Oh, shut up, you know, already. Get over yourself. Um, but... Uh, so the judge has received submissions from the Simberg side and from Mark Stein's side, quite lengthy um, submissions detailing um, the reasons why this case should be dismissed. They are being considered as we speak. And in fact, the uh, the plaintiffs are also allowed to speak into that and say why it shouldn't be dismissed. And they were allowed till noon Eastern, so just a couple of hours ago, noon Eastern today to submit their rejoinder and then and then the judge will decide and and i funny enough somebody asked me that very question the question that you're kind of asking now i believe what will have to happen is that we will go back into court on monday morning and the judge will say what he decided after considering these documents i don't believe we're going to get a phone call uh today or over the weekend saying it's all over i think we're going back to court on monday i would be inclined to think that the judge will continue at this stage but I, but I do think they have a very strong case for dismissing, including in that um, the case for dismissal is the fact that the, um, the plaintiffs had shown erroneous information in a very, very prejudicial way to the jury. Um, and it certainly, if this thing goes on, and if there was any, any, and if, for example, if the if the defence if they lost, um, it's certainly it's certainly grounds for a mis, for a retrial or a mistrial. Um, what what happened inside the court? Um, so it's so it's interesting. Um, who knows? Who knows? And don't forget, and you and your your viewers and will very much appreciate my next comment. We are in Washington D.C. This is a Washington D.C. jury, which is almost in itself extraordinarily unfair 
Um, it shouldn't be here at all. It wouldn't be here at all if it wasn't for CEI and National Review, neither of whom are now in this case at all. It shouldn't be here. It should be in such a much more neutral uh, venue. Um, but I, but I still believe in the jury system. Um, I, uh, you know, I covered a case recently, the Kevin Kevin Spacey case, which I, I imagine many of your listeners would probably think Kevin Spacey is a dreadful person and was guilty and whatever. Well, he has been exonerated in every every last court he's been in um, because the guy who took the action against him lied. And the new the jury in New York, where I thought the, Kevin Spacey didn't have a hope made their decision within a half an hour. So, you know, there's always hope. There's always hope. And, and the jury system, we have to we have to believe in it. Um, and I do believe that they were very impressed, particularly by um, Dr. Weiner. And I hope they get to hear from um, Dr. Curry on Monday. Yeah, well, so yeah. So a quick question for you before you go, because you might know this and we, and we don't. Uh, question from Phil Rader. Do we know if Dr. Ross McKittrick is going to testify? He did a statistical analysis of the hockey stick as well. Do you do you know if he's going to be on uh, if he's on the witness list for Mark Stein? He's on. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Phil, for that question. I'm actually really glad you you wrote that in. So we have on the list of people who have yet to appear and should appear if this thing isn't dismissed are Ross McKittrick and McIntyre. Um, Ross McKittrick, McIntyre and McKittrick and Judith Curry and Dr. Richard Lindsay. Those are the ones that are on the list. But as I said, the judge has been, you know, came out quite strongly and was quite kind of uh, more firm than he's been before saying, we're finishing this on Wednesday, one yeah. way or the other. And I don't know how we do that with all those um, witnesses who haven't uh, appeared yet. And, you know, you have to think that they have to give their evidence to, you know, to uh, Rand Simberg's lawyers and to Mark Stein himself, and then be cross-examined. So, and I would really like all of them to be heard because McKittrick and McIntyre, as you said very correctly, Phil, they did the criticism, which appeared in the peer-reviewed, the same peer-reviewed journal where the hockey stick originally appeared. I, I honestly don't understand how the judge can set a time limit on a trial. I know. You, you have your plaintiffs, they have their witnesses, and you have your defense. There's yeah. no... Well, it's also it's also sterling. It's also very unfair because the um, the defense, the, the the plaintiffs, I should say, the plaintiffs didn't rest until you know yesterday or whatever it was. Like so, the, you know, so they went they went over like three days over what they should have done. So you know, it's it's very unfair that the defense have now got such a limited time to present yeah. the very powerful witnesses that they have. I, I I think that would be grounds for appeals if they if if they're not able to present their case in full. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, I think I think that he's not going to move on Wednesday. By the way, it's going to end on Wednesday. And, and can I just say, on my own behalf, I have two cats in Washington in 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 Los Angeles waiting for me. I do have somebody taking care of them, but um, I, they'll be very upset if I don't return on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> so sure. that's my plan. That's my plan. But we we'll, we'll keep you posted, guys. Okay. Well, uh, well, we'll let you go, Anne. I know that you have another interview coming up. Uh, please, all, I urge all of our viewers and listeners to uh, support the great work, um, the heroic work of Fella McAleer and Anne McElhenney um, at the Unreported Story Society. It is a 501c3, just like the Heartland Institute. They need your support. So if you want to, if you, if you actually value real journalism, that challenges uh, those in power. You must support that organization and please subscribe and leave uh, reviews for the climate change on trial podcast. Because um, uh, when Phelan was on last weekend, he said it was at that time, the number six uh, science podcast in the world. Correct. 
Correct. Um, where are you now? Do you remember? I looked this morning. We were number seven. We would love oh. to be number one by the end of the week, but we, you know, by the end of by the end of the trial. But it's still it's extraordinary because we're ahead of like the you know National Geographic and NPR and these people uh, with obviously massive teams. So we're a tight little tight organization. So we're very proud of what's been achieved. Yeah, well, we're very proud to have you on the podcast, Anne, and, and I hope we can have you on again um, after the yeah. trial. You and yeah. Phelan together would be fantastic, but uh, we'll see if we can work that out. Thanks so much for being on with us today, and we'll uh, we'll, we'll see you, and we'll keep an eye on you and, and the trial. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. God bless. All right. Bye. Guys, also, if you want to support um, Mark Stein, he's selling a uh, like a hockey stick, a Liberty stick on his website which I think is steinonline.com and he has a shop there. Um, So he can probably use all the help that he can get as well. Yep. For sure. All right. Well, let's Um, pull up that super chat. Let's do that. That's your, thank you very much, Dean. (laughs) As always, Dean, we appreciate it when you guys support us as well. So thank you very much. Um, We're doing our best. So I'm, I'm glad that people are enjoying the show so much. Yes, me as well. Well, let's um, before we go to questions or crazy climate, I don't know if we're going to get to that, but I'd like to just follow up on one thing that she brought up, the the whole denier thing. So I've been doing this as much as I hate to admit it, 25 years now on climate off and on. And I, I have been, of course, called a denier, as have everyone at Heartland, but, you know, me before at NCPA even. Um, and. Uh, and I've been compared to Nazis. Um, and the problem with the denier uh, opprobrium is, is not just that I don't deny that climate changes. Um, it, the whole comparison is just awful because not because the Nazis were evil and the Holocaust was evil. It was, but because it's a fact. It is a known fact. We have bodies. We have photographic evidence. We have eyewitness testimony. It, there's not, it's not a matter of um, supposition or computer models saying, well, statistics show the Jewish population went down. No. Um, as opposed to the whole theory of climate change, which is not a fact. It's not supported by data. It's not supported by evidence. It's driven by computer models and statistical manipulation like man's. That's not fact. That's not even science. Those are tools used in science. So it's just a, a totally inappropriate comparison. Yeah. Right. And my the most notable thing to me about this trial, other than you know it going on at all, is uh, as Anne remarked at the beginning of the show, there is such a huge difference between the persona that man is putting on for this trial and his content and what you can go and look at like on his twitter account and also the way he talks on he goes on the news all the time like i think cnn has him on relatively (laughs) frequently so and he is just contemptible on there so it's man on trial versus man in real life (laughs) yeah him him trying to play the like nice guy who i don't know how i get in these situations this is so weird why would they say yeah. these mean things about me yeah, yeah. all right <laughs> yeah it's 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 infuriating i know a lot of our listeners and, and viewers of this of this show uh, have been following it maybe not uh, following it as much as i have i'm almost trying to listen to every every single minute but i think one of the really and i, I was actually kind of shocked well, maybe not shocked 
but that the judge didn't just dismiss the case. I mean, the, the burden here is on Michael Mann. He has to prove that not just him being attacked in general by climate deniers. Uh, no, he has to prove that that blog post seen by about 17,000 people, I think that was, it was entered into evidence because you can track that, is what cost him all these grants and it cost him, uh, it harmed his personal rep and professional reputation and that you know nobody would associate with him anymore because of this. And of course, um, Mark Stein and Ren Simberg's side brings up photos of him from his own website of him with his bromance with, with Leonardo DiCaprio. And here he is on stage introducing Bill Clinton and Terry McAuliffe at a, a Democratic political event in Virginia. And here's and here Michael he... Mann in a, in a documentary on climate change. And here's Michael Mann at the premiere of that documentary on climate change at some wonderful place. And I'm sure he got a nice gift bag. So it, it seems obvious to anybody with eyes and ears that this case is a joke. It's a complete joke. There is no way that he has even remotely approached the burden that is put upon him as the plaintiff. It is not Michael uh, Mark Stein and Rand Simberg's job to prove anything. It is only to it is his burden. It's a civil case, but he's the prosecution, and it is not even close. In and, my it's, and it's not just that his uh, personal reputation hasn't suffered with sort of big wigs and and celebrities. You know, he he had to go through. Oh well, how many journal articles have you published since then? Well, yeah, a lot. Uh, how many conferences were you at to speak at? Professional conference. His, his reputation hasn't suffered among his peers either. So no. where has his professional reputation suffered? His reputation among who? Only go, his reputation among the seventeen thousand people that read the the post. You, you could argue that his reputation would go up because he's like, yeah. you know, um, public enemy number one among the deniers, right? He's so he's bolstered. like the most yeah. prominent guy to go after. That would actually increase your reputation. Frankly, we here at the Heartland Institute, we take pride in the fact that we are the number one global think tank when it comes to covering climate and, uh, and research on climate and energy policy. We are attacked constantly in ways that are much more def uh, defamatory and libelous than what uh, Michael Mann is, is uh, claiming in this case. But we, we wear it as a badge of pride. Because as they say, if you're uh, if you're not taking flack, you're not over the target. And that's exactly what's happening here. About three years ago, there was a, a peer-reviewed journal article that published, um, that did the ratings. How many times different deniers were mentioned in, in, in articles and journals and newspaper reports. And I was offended that I was as low as I was. Um, you know, I, I hope my ratings have gone up since then. But, uh, you know, I still, I made the list. But I was I was lower than people. I thought that guy got mentioned more than me. That's not right. I write a lot more than him. Right. Well, um, I, I I wish we could have had uh, Ann on for the whole time. Um, as she says, she is um, uh, obsessively punctual, and I did not want to uh, make her late and have it be our fault for her next appointment. Uh, so. I just want to go over a couple. We're not going to go over climate uh, crazy news of the week. There's a lot, so we'll get to it. Maybe we'll have to dedicate an entire show to just that. That would be something because you certainly we can fill an hour every week just talking about that. Believe me. Uh, so the the Stein Simberg side, the defense got to start calling witnesses. And as we talked about earlier, um, the statistician, um, America's probably most prominent statistician, uh, was was the first witness, and he was the one that. Uh, looked at the result of Michael Mann's 
data manipulation and found it wanting and wrote a very critical paper that was well known. And again, and so, so, so now Stein has his witnesses. So after Abraham Weiner talked about that, Judith Curry took uh, the witness uh, stand and she barely got, um, you know, <laughs> I used to cover Congress and I used to joke, you know, Congress is one of the easiest jobs in the world because you don't work on Mondays. You work Tuesday through Thursday and then you leave uh, early Thursday afternoon and you never work Fridays. And apparently that's the way it works in the D.C. Uh, Superior Court as well, because they don't have court on Fridays. Uh, they do have it on Mondays. Apparently the jury, as, as Anne was annoyed by, can just come in whenever they feel like it. So when when these when these guys are paying their attorneys a thousand or two thousand dollars an hour, well, there goes a thousand bucks for the half an hour that we didn't start on time because they charge for that, too, when the jury doesn't come in. So this jury, by not being punctual, is costing uh, everybody lots and lots of money. But putting that aside, uh, Judy Curry didn't actually get to testify very much. Uh, I think it's actually going to be starting up on Monday and I think they'll really get rolling with her and. You know, J Judith Curry has been on this podcast on the, on our show uh, a, a couple of times. She has spoken at our climate conferences. So has Ross McKittrick. So has Richard Lindzen. So has Stephen McIntyre. So you know, this is we know all of these names because we work with them uh, quite often. So next week is really what I was looking forward to the the defense witnesses, and uh, they are going to go after Mark Stein, or uh, they're going to go after Michael Mann and his hockey stick. Um, and so no matter what the result of this trial, guys, I think its usefulness for posterity is that for the first time ever in a public forum, the fraudulent hockey stick is going to be exposed and it will be on the public record forever. And it will be referenced, I would hope, uh, for decades to come, um, maybe as a, as, a, as a kind of thing. Hey, remember when the hockey stick was a thing? That would be kind of fun. But we'll see if that's what, what how it turns out. Let's... I want to caution care. I don't know if I've ever called it fraudulent. Um, but the statistician yesterday, he said, no, I never said it was fraud. Fraud and it requires intent. I can't get in people's minds. I called it deceptive because it is deceptive. And he explained why it was deceptive, why it didn't follow norms of statistics, why it cherry picked certain, uh, you know, statistics. Um, I, there's no question it's deceptive. And uh, man, he, he may have committed fraud when he said, I'm a Nobel Prize winner. Uh, he, he may have lied in court when he said, I don't tweet that often. Um, and when he said, I, before Congress, under oath, I don't call people, I've never called anyone a denier. How he could say that, yeah. I, it befuddles me. Um, but uh, I, I'm not convinced uh, we can know with certainty that it was fraud perpetrated upon the IPCC because I don't I'm not convinced the IPCC ever cared about the truthfulness of it. It made the case they were trying to make. Right. It they didn't care about the accuracy. That. They cared about the usefulness of it. They didn't care That's about right. the accuracy of it. That's right. Um, so we'll we'll wrap up the show here. But I wanted to um, uh, thank um, both Peter Williams for his uh uh, nine pounds, 99 pence, uh, I believe in, uh, in proper money, as they say from England. And, uh, and also here, Alan Griffiths has a question, uh, for, t for 10 pounds. Thank you very much. Let's suppose Stein and Simberg win. What then for the IPCC and the whole climate change industry? Well, I'm, I hate to be the, 
<laughs> the negative one, I don't think it'll make the IPCC withdraw using some of that, um, some of those models from their AR6 reports or anything. I don't, I don't think that that's going to change anything. Um, I, I do think that they will be seething mad. <laughs> there will be many emails going back and forth, uh, particularly among the individuals who are already busted for sending nasty emails that were brought up in this trial, including a gentleman from NASA who is also just his his activities on Twitter are just really <laughs> shocking for someone who's supposed to be a professional. Um, it's uh, I won't say that it will all of a sudden create like a collapse in the whole uh, narrative, but it will reveal a pre-existing crack, and I think that. Uh, it can be leveraged on our part from there. Yeah, I, I, I largely agree with Linnea there. I don't think it will change their narrative, right? Because the hockey stick is only part of it. It's not one of the climate models. It's a it's a, a statistical analysis that used grit and graphical form. They didn't use it in the three um, reports they issued after it because they didn't want to get into that. I doubt they'll ever put it in there again if it loses. I mean, you know, they almost certainly won't. Uh, they'll just, uh, it'll be it'll be like in The Wizard of Oz when the, the curtain is peeled back and the wizard says, ignore the man, ignore the man behind the curtain. And and the IPCC says, oh, well, that's old news. That was, that was five reports ago. We're not talking about that. Uh, you know, we've, I got think, I think is- we've got a lot of data since then. Yeah, well, I think what's fair to say is that um, Michael Mann winning would be really great for his side, or at least would be portrayed that oh, way. Yeah. And him losing um, is what you would think is the opposite of that. So it's better than the alternative, which is uh, uh, a DC jury um, ruling, I think, beyond all logic and evidence that uh, he has been defamed and is and is and is uh, due um, punishment for Stein and Simberg. Well, I think that would be if he loses, app. it'll be appealed. Yeah. If he loses it, it'll be appealed. Sure. So more, so, win, yeah, more, more court for Stein and, and Simberg. Great. Yeah, yeah. If he loses, it'll be appealed. It'll be a black mark. I suspect that it won't hurt the IPCC, but it will hurt man. And it'll yeah. hurt his colleagues. If Look, if I'm I one of his colleagues, I don't want to work with him. I, I, don't think, I don't think it'll hurt man one bit because he's already lost court cases that should have hurt him. In oh, the eyes of Canada. his colleagues and stuff. That was Canada. Canada. <laughs> and they don't they don't care because the kind of people that he's hanging out with don't care. Leonardo mm. DiCaprio doesn't care that the data the data doesn't back it up. He's having too much fun, you know, running around doing whatever celebrity appearances he does for this stuff. I mean, they don't they really do not care. Nope, they don't. Well, we will have it as actually as an exit question. It's so asks, does Mark need financial support? And the answer to that is yes. yes. So you can go to uh, Mark Stein, um, Mark Stein's website, steinonline.com. He is selling truth sticks, truth hockey sticks uh, to help fund his um, uh, his his legal bills. He doesn't have the, um, the what, Mark, uh, what Michael Mann has, which is the supposed climate science uh, defense, legal defense fund. So he has to depend on the likes of us to um, to help him in this very important fight and battle for the truth when it comes uh, to the climate. Um, so that's going to be it for today. You know, I I want to um, thank everybody here for obviously for being on the on the program. 
And we are covering this trial. We're going to take it all the way to the end. So the judge says that uh, the trial is supposed to end on Wednesday. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are going to be very important days. I know I will be watching and listening to the trial. I suspect Sterling and Linnea will as much as they can. And we will hopefully have some good news to report at the end of next week and every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 p.m. Central Time. It's Climate Change Roundtable by the Heartland Institute. I want to thank um, again all of you for watching here online. I'd love, I want to thank you for being into the, in the chat. It's been fantastic. And we will talk to you next week.